This episode is sponsored by Costa, the first manufacturer of color-enhancing all-polarized glass sunglass lenses. Since 1983, Costa has combined superior lens technology with unparalleled fit and durability, building the best-performing sunglasses, prescription sunglasses, and optical frames for outdoor enthusiasts. To learn more about Costa's award-winning collection, visit costasunglasses.com. Hey guys, I'm Gerald Swindle, Bassmasters Elite Series Angler, and you are listening to the Shields Outdoor Podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors Podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Today, we're going to be talking bass fishing, and with us is Bassmaster Elite Series Angler and Costa-sponsored athlete, Gerald Swindle. Gerald, thank you for joining us. Can you give yourself a little background on yourself and talk about how the Elite Series is going for you so far? Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, been looking forward to doing this one with you, and and. I, my, I am Gerald Swindle. I'm from Gunnersville, Alabama. Uh, live right here on the lake. I've been fishing Elite Series for, uh, I've been fishing professionally for 23 years. Been on the Elite Series all but one of those years. So it's, it's been a good ride with me at Bass. Uh, you know, we're kind of at the halfway point of the season. I think it enabled us to catch up. We had a few weeks off. So I get to do some podcasts and other work between tournaments, but now we've, we kicked off uh, half the season early in the spring, and, and it's been pretty good for us. Uh, my wife and I, when it, we uh, took our break, I think we're like 20, 20th or 21st in the points or something. I mean, we, we're we where we need to be to make that next move for AOI run. We've had some consistent tournaments. had not had anything really bad, you know, and that's kind of in, in, in our level how you judge a great year is just trying not to have a bad tournament, you know, trying to hold steady and – uh, we fought some pretty tough, tough conditions, as you guys probably know. We've had the crazy winter weather. The spring was cold and windy, but all in all, at the halfway point, we're we're happy. We're never content, but we know that this last half of the season, we could make up some ground and possibly run for another AOI title. There you go, perfect. Yeah, when it comes to that whole angler of the year race, it's kind of slow and steady wins the race. I mean, as as long as you're finishing at a decent spot, then you can put yourself in a in a decent spot to capitalize. So, you know, you talked a little bit about conditions so far. What sort of conditions you've been running into and like how has that affected your fishing strategy so far? I'm gonna be honest with you, this has probably been the coldest, wettest, windiest spring that I can ever remember fishing in my career from like every tournament we fished, the water temperature for us was high forties to low fifties. We fought high winds, a lot of rain and clouds. So for it to be a uh, pre-spawn or on into the early spawn tournament, it was so funky that, like, the practices were so tough. Like, you didn't get many bites. So my biggest thing that I had to battle with this year was not getting mentally exhausted, not not having that quick burnout because we were having practices where we were only getting one, two, three bites a day. Those are 10 and 12 hour days with a lot of money on the line and that, that wears on you. So what I noticed this year was, uh, embracing the weather, wearing better rain gear. And I, I went, I used the highest level Africa rain suit I could get to try to stay dry, keep warm. 
kind of keeps your mind in the game. But out of all the things I've had to fight this year, you know, it seems like weather was the number one thing that weighed on us in every tournament because people can say what they want, but if you fish in high winds, rain, cold weather, 15 or 20 days straight, you get enough of it, and it will wear you out mentally. So we just kind of had to just keep telling ourselves that, hey, just slow and steady, make it through the days, don't do nothing crazy, just fish, try to try to dress comfortable, try to prepare for it. And, and it was weird because it's not, not as much about – your tackle and what you was doing or your technique, it was about just physically trying to stay healthy, not getting sick and staying warm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I have to admit, I I follow you on social media and and you're a very entertaining person to, to watch on that. And I really especially enjoyed your one story about having, you know, your, your game changing tools and you're talking about your, your heated steering wheel and your heated seats. So I got a little chuckle out of that one. I mean, who would have ever thought that, like, when when you order that stuff, you're thinking, yeah, it's, it's cool, sounds cool. You know, Phoenix has heated steering wheels, they have heated seats. You're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get that because I want to just pimp. So you realize you're fishing in the high that day is 44 and it's raining, and you can sit down and idle for an hour and turn the seat heater on, and you totally warm up. We made some long runs this year. Or, like, who would have ever thought? I mean, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a great selling point. I never seen it as being a huge asset in tournament fishing till they got that cold. And mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, it makes the world a difference when you sit down and the steering wheel's warm, the seats are warm, and it, you can feel it through your rain gear. And there was how I mean, it, I had a one, one day of practice for the classic where it just rained and rained and rained, and I was like, good God, I'm freezing. And I had to make a long run back down the lake. And I remember turning my seat heaters on and I started idling finding brush piles that I ended up catching fish out of other classic which played a, a, a good part of my great finish there. And I'm thinking all because I had seed eaters, I was comfortable enough to sit here and idle. But most of the time when you're freezing cold and it's raining straight down, you don't want to sit down and idle because it's not comfortable. I'm like, who would have ever thought a seed heater played a factor in how you felt during the day and could actually possibly change the outcome of a turn. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, I mean, not everyone can go out and get a bass boat that, that has heated steering wheel and seats, but you know, you, you talked about rain gear before that. And it's like, you just need to get yourself equipped to get yourself through that and keep yourself in the game. And yeah, it's just, it's one of the most valuable tools in, you know, in your arsenal. I, I would tell people when they talk about buying rain gear, you hear people say, man, rain, rain gear is high. And people do it a lot in hunting because my wife and I are just avid, crazy bow hunters. And I tell people, you, you can only skimp on certain things in life. But if you skimp on your outerwear and your hunting gear and your outerwear and your fishing gear, you're going to pay the ultimate price. So go ahead, go down to the local store, whether it's a shield or you ordering it online, and pay the money for a great rain suit. And that's why I tell people about after. I'm like, yeah, you're going to pay good money for it. But when you're dry, you're dry. You, you Pretty much rain suits is like you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And if you want to dry you, you got to just spend that money you you can i tell people all the time you can cut you can cut corners on sufficient lures you can cut corner on line you can buy maybe buy a cheaper crankbait you can do everything you can to cut corners it comes to rain gear you cut corners you're going home wet bottom line yeah absolutely so let's uh you know let's talk a little bit less about the whole doom and gloom of the rainy and windy um you know it's it's starting to warm up it's becoming summer so what uh what are some of your favorite tactics you like to use now that you know like the the spawn's going to be done and things are warming up and it feels more like your standard bass fishing what what do you like to toss on 
What's your favorite lure? Well, like, for, for instance, like uh, yesterday, I ran out on Gunnersville for a couple of hours, and it and it was amazing how fast the fish went from two or three weeks ago on the bed to how many fish is offshore right now in, in 18 to 20 foot on ledges. And that's what I really enjoy, like throwing the DT-20, uh, big seven six cranking around by thirteen, just bombing big plugs and winding them. And like yesterday, we were able to have a pretty good evening run at them, cranking a big plug. You know, there's something about that uh, DT sixteen or DT twenty when they get out on the ledges. That's kind of like my go to bait. I throw a jig a lot, uh, like the Buckeye three quarter ounce balling out jig, dragging around on the bottom. Throw the you know Rapala DT twenty sixteen fourteen. I'll bounce back in between with a Buckeye head and a big like a Zoom uh, mag trick worm or a Zoom old monster. But those, those are my summertime, early summertime ledge baits that seem to always get bites. So you can mix in spoons and everything else, but basically cranking, worming, and jigging once the fish get out, dude, that's what I enjoy doing. And it's, it's a lot of fun now because you can idle, find them. But it's amazing how we went from spring to summer. When it started getting warm, it jumped up in the 80s a few days, and the fish automatically made that transition. Now, they don't all go. And I had my nephew with me yesterday who fishes all the opens, little Trace window, and we were talking about that because he's in his early 20s, just eat up with it. And I said, Trey, when these fish come deep, they don't all go deep. I said, they kind of come in droves. So I was like, some of these fish that we're seeing deep today were some of the fish that actually spawned in the end of February, 1st of March. They were some of the first ones that got on bed on a couple of warm days we had. I said, so they're, they've been up long enough now that the transition is let's move out. But I said, they're going to be coming out for the next month. So I said, people think that when they first get out here, like, oh, they all come out. No, just a small portion of them come out. And I said, you know, so if you wanted to, you can still catch plenty of fish throwing a, a mag speed worm in the grass, mm-hmm. you know, four foot deep. But if you want to go cranking and you want to idle around and look at that graph long enough, you can do that too. Yep. Have you noticed that that bigger fish tend to move earlier or it's just really a, a general mentality of certain fish and it's a mix or what are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's a mix because I think the way now this is just when you talk about redneck philosophy, that's what I got. I have <laughs> Perfect. Not, I school on this, but my redneck philosophy is in order for the big bass to spawn early, you have to have some male bass to go with them or it's an unsuccessful spawn. So, I think when people think do all the big ones go out first, not necessarily the big ones that were up will move out with the males that were up. So you're going to always have a little bit of mix back. Cause like yesterday we caught some two pounders and then we backed the back with a couple of four and a half pounders. You know, and I was like, these are just the males that was with these fish when they went, but they're not really grouped up in size. I think they do that here more later in the summer where you, they just find a deeper spot where the bigger fish seem to be more comfortable, and then the big ones kind of group up. But when they first come out, I think they're very mixed up. There's like all different sizes. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I'd like to talk to you about the importance of sight and vision in your fishing. So, I mean, <laughs> what? Uh, how important is that to you, especially when you're doing certain tactics? Well, when you talk about uh, eyewear and sight in, in bass fishing, professional bass fishing, when you're fishing for a hundred grand, you do not want to cut corners on your eyewear. You want to have a pair of glasses, and I have multiple pair of coasters that I use when I'm on the water, on, like on a sight fishing tournament, because every water may have a little different color. And I know that everybody's going to say, "Hey, man, I can't buy three or four pair of glasses." Hey, I understand, but if you're going to buy one, 
just for sight fishing all over the country, I love the sunrise silver lens. The, the brighter the lens, the more light in. But sight fishing is so important for good eyewear because if I overlook a five-pounder and Seth Fighter slides in behind me or Josh Douglas and they see it and I didn't see it, that cost me money. So you want the best eyewear that you can have to be able to have the best uh, sight penetration through the water where you can pick up all the targets. And, I mean, sometimes – I may change the lens colors a little bit, but that sunrise silver, all in all, for sight fishing is key. And then, of course, you people say, "Was well, that you know sunglasses? That's really all you need them for sight fishing." No, your your eyes need to be protected all year. Like when we're out there deep ledge fishing, you know, I'm not using them to catch a bass. I'm using them then to protect my eyes, to keep some of the the bad UV rays off my face, out of my eyes, to try to save your vision. Because if you fish as much as uh, uh, I do, and a lot of other guys right here do. You, you're in the sun six or seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. So you have to kind of be cautious of, am I wearing quality eyewear that blocks the most bad UV rays out of my eyes and helps prevent me from having vision loss long, long term? And that's why I tell people, that's why you, you buy the better glasses. Yes, you can run in the gas station and buy a pair, and you might get by a day, but you might as well invest in them because your eyes, you only got two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you got even from running in low light situations uh without my coaster sometimes there's no telling how many times i've been hitting the face or in the eye with a bug so when i i see people like i see them driving boats wide open and they don't even have sunglasses on them like, hey man you only got two eyes yeah it's absolutely very glass on and take off mm-hmm. and then and then another thing people don't quite think about as much is just your eye strain especially like you know, in this transition of moving to utilizing your electronics so much more, like you can be staring at those graphs for hours and hours every day. And, you know, like one picking apart if, you know, that that's a rock or that's a fish or, you know, just staring at it for that long, you know, having a good pair of sunglasses to just so you don't have that strain is crucial as well. Keeping the clarity, you know, you want to keep your glasses. I tell people you want you want to get the, like on Coastal, you know you're going to get a clear lens. You know you're getting a quality lens. But once you put them on, it doesn't stop there. You need to keep some type of cleaner handy, some type of soft towel, and keep your glasses clean so your eyes don't have to strain to see through water spots and all that because seeing the clarity of the screen is key. And you can tell if you wear a bad eyewear and you sit there and you stare at those three graphs all day, you're going to have a headache at the end of the day, 99% of the time. A lot of that's just your eyes are straining, whether you're screening, your graph's not clean, your glasses are a little dirtier than they should be. So I'm a big component of, like, keep cleaner there, keep your glasses clean at all times. Between almost every stop, I wipe them down. Is it, you know, I'm trying to pick out a rock or, or just one speck, one fish on a stump, and with a little bit of distortion on your glasses and dirt, you might miss it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and just those little water spots and stuff are ridiculously yeah. annoying. God. Yeah. So, what what's your favorite pair of sunglasses and why? I, I my favorite frame my Costa is the Reefton. That's the one that I seem to fits my face better. It has a, a great amount of protection from the sun around my eye. It blocks out a lot of the light. It fits comfortably up under the edge of my hat when I pull my hat down tight. So I like the fact that I got good face coverage and good side coverage, but the Reefton seems to just fit my face better. So it's kind of like my go-to frame got it in every color lens i can get it in but the reason is my go-to frame mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense you, you know i mean you can ask just about anyone that question and it's 
the one that fits your face the best. And that's one good thing about Kosa is just that they have such variety, you know, different styles. It can fit your look. It can fit the shape of your face. And not everybody's face, like when it comes to like sight fishing and trying on glasses, people just like, hey, which one should I buy? And I always tell myself, hey, man, go somewhere. They got a bunch of glasses and sit and go through all the coasters, put the different frames on because your nose thickness, your eyes, you try to find the frame that blocks out the most sunlight around it. And I was like, everybody's face is different. So what works good for me? If I tell you, hey, a reefton's great for me, it may not fit a certain guy's face. So I'm always tell them, uh, sunglasses kind of like clothes. If you can try some on the frames, you're going to be better off putting them on and kind of realizing, hey, this fits my face better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just head to your local Shield store. We got a giant wall of sunglasses, bunch of coasters yeah. there. So I mean, you can go. Hey, buy them all at Shields. Try them all <laughs> on. They know. Hey, we got glasses. If you want sunglasses, us at Shields, we got y'all covered. Just come on in. Yeah. There you go. So, Absolutely. I did show for you see i mean <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so so i've got one question that i'm that i'm very curious what uh, talk to me about this no drama monkey you got going on I, my wife always told me the first couple of times she said good god you've been on the cut line and on the edge and the classic mode she said i'm ready for a no drama day like where you just blast them you know don't even have to worry about getting a check so i was going to practice that morning it'd been a pretty the first day I practice is pretty tough, and I seen that monkey sitting there, and it said no drama monkey. And I thought, well, that's what my wife said right there. She don't want no drama. So I, I bought my no drama monkey and just kind of hung him out with me. And the first day I caught 10 pounds of chick, and she was like, really? This is how you're going to start the drama? And I, well, the next day I caught almost 24, and we got paid. She said, now we're back to no drama. But it was just a simple joke between her and I laughing about it. And good God, the people on social media just love the no drama monkey. And, we named him Leroy Jenkins. Oh, he just man. hangs up front. Leroy. Just a great, that YouTube video. Oh, man. I, re- I remember seeing that the first time like 10 years ago. And it, if you haven't watched that video, it is it is worth watching every second. And so, like, I'll, I'll just kind of describe it a little for the people that haven't seen it yet. Like, people get super serious into this, like, internet video game stuff. And, like, the group that they were with, it was just, you know, like, statistics base and, you know, like, percentages and all this stuff. And they're calculating every certain move and just, Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. He said, Leroy jumps up and down and he goes, I'm going in. And he went, Leroy and they're all standing there in their little character and they're going where are you going Leroy and he's gone and I think that's the monkey's name he has no fear he's going in oh that's wonderful just love it you know I'm probably going to watch that again just just for the fun of it after this <laughs> podcast my wife's in the background going it gets funnier every time you watch it oh it does because you pick up on certain things that you didn't realize happened before <laughs> yeah I mean so we just uh, when we're on tour my wife and I try to try to keep some smiles and, and try to keep things uh, as lighthearted as we can because it's, you know, there's stress and pressure to perform. And so sometimes by buying a simple monkey and hanging him all over the camper, we just find time to laugh at each other and laugh at it. And it helps me to realize that you, we should always enjoy fishing. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, sometimes you, you just got to keep your sanity and you got to enjoy the ride. You got to kind of sit back and think, you know, even though it's a grind and it's difficult and it's stressful, like you're still fishing. And hey, and I try to encourage that when I speak at every different level, from a club level 
to a weekend fisherman to guys who are trying to make it to the next level as a pro, I'm like, if you could just make yourself try to have fun, always remember to try to have a little fun. I fight because the intensity and the seriousness ain't always what helps you catch more fish. It's the fact that you can enjoy the ride a little bit. You're still giving it your 110%, but it kind of keeps that lightheartedness where you try not to take life so serious. And remember that we still are fishing. And that, that's hard to do sometimes when you pay 50,000 entry fees and you're traveling all over the country. So I'm constantly having to remind myself, just go out and have fun. And I mean, I've been doing it a long time and I still have to tell myself that. So it tells you it's constantly there. And I tell people, when you go for the weekend, have fun, have fun. If you don't catch them all, don't worry about it. If you don't catch with a couple, don't get angry, have a good time and enjoy it. We'll be back out to do it again. Uh, it's a very serious sport, and it has some great paydays, but sometimes I just have to buy the monkey at the gas station, and we laugh at each other all day. <laughs> yep, perfect. I love it. So, you know, I mean, it, you've been on the tournament trail for a long time. Do you have a, do you have a favorite story that, that you've experienced on your tournament trails? Oh, man, I've had, I've, had, I've had so many good ones and bad ones, and what I'm learning now is like when I first started, it was like most of the stuff that ever stood out to me was the funnier, the crazy stuff that happened. And what I've noticed in the last, I'm going to say five years of my career, the things that have really, really stood out to me where I'm at in my career, social media wise, following the fans is how much my simple, uh, positive mental attitude saying has started to influence people. And I started all that because I was struggling to stay positive so i started hashtagging everything pma you know let's keep a positive mental attitude and then i started selling bracelets of positive mental attitude and i talk about a lot when i speak you know you can see a lot of the videos where i'm talking about me having some tough times in fishing and and so i go in and i'm telling people from my experience what i've done wrong and how i turned it around by just keeping a positive mindset so we started that really is just a way to heal myself and talk about my weaknesses and be, just being transparent with people. But now in the last four or five years, maybe even more, we, we've just been, my wife and I have literally been overwhelmed with, with people who have come to us and told us how it changed their life. In other words, from, from fighting suicide to drug addiction to losing someone in their family and being down and out and watching videos about me talking about just stay positive, try to find the best in it and how it turned people's lives into something better. And now it seems like as I'm older, those are truly the things that, that stand out to me about my fishing career and the stories that I hear. You know, when you have somebody come up randomly and hug your neck and they're crying and they say, I beat a lifelong drug addiction by watching your videos through my uh hospital in my rehab and i'm here and then and the lady drove to find me and she said i've come here to hug you and tell you i'm two years clean of heroin that to me started meaning more than any fish i've ever caught than any trophy that i've ever held the biggest dreams i think i wanted to, to achieve all of a sudden become smaller because i realized we say it's just fishing but what a how just how big is this fishing platform and that's when my eyes were really opened up to it that the people you can help change or introduce to the outdoors they may not even be fishing at the time and that, that was what my wife and i have really sat down over the last couple of years and say these stories mean the most and we've totally been overwhelmed with them you know uh, 
and email after email, and we're grateful for it. I just never knew it would go there. I just talked about it because I struggled with it, and just kind of almost like an open confession doing seminars about, hey, here's where I was mentally. This is what I was doing wrong. I was angry. I was frustrated. I couldn't get my thoughts together. I wasn't being who I wanted to be. I didn't like the man in the mirror, and I started just working with a mind coach and working with just trying to be positive, just keep the PMA, baby, and now it's just took off, and I don't know. We're kind of fortunate about that. My wife gets, she gets on me sometimes because I come in one day this year and I say, good God, I suck today. She goes, <laughs> Hey, where's that positive mental attitude? I said, Oh, let me reframe that. I said, I am 100% positive that I suck today. I'm like that. <laughs> she said, Fair enough. Oh, there you, you know, go. It's the mindset of how we, we react to situations is the key to how we live life, whether it's good or bad. So I think, I've started understanding that you don't judge your life as a fisherman. Sometimes you shouldn't simply buy the trophies that you hold. Mm-hmm. It's an impact doors and you're doing your part as an outdoorsman to spread happiness, try to do your part, you know? And so that, that's kind of probably what, what you were looking for, but those are the stories that stand out the most to me. No, that's great. And that's something I really appreciate about you and enjoy seeing on your social media stuff, because, you know, it's it's so easy to, you know, talk about the negativity or to use social platforms as like, hey, look at me, look what I have done. But, you know, when you spin it and, and talk about having a positive mental attitude and, you know, overcoming difficulties, it's just it's a great thing to see out there. Well, I think we don't when we talk as men, and I'm speaking just from a man, the man standpoint right now is even as, as outdoorsmen, as fathers, as coaches, whatever, you know, people are doing, we sometimes don't think that other people are struggling, you know, and I think we get that in our head. And some people think, well, I'm in this all alone and you want to ensure them you're, you're not all alone. Everybody has their own set of demons. They have their own set of problems. The world's not fair to just pick and choose to anybody. So you have, once you realize that you're kind of in this together and, and it's, it's just life. We're just wrestling the game of life and you're, you're not alone. And I think sometimes when people, when I just tell them straight facts, like in a closed seminar, they're like, wow, this guy was, you know, he, he was pissed. And I'll tell them, this was my downfalls. I think it enlightens them to open up then and say, Hey man, I, I kind of the same way. And, and you teach them to just try to think more positive try to look at the picture different and all of a sudden you start seeing changes and then you start hearing stories and my wife and I just sit back and we've often thought about it. You know, maybe my whole fishing platform is, you know, I want to win the classic, but I don't know if that's what I'm here for anymore. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a greater purpose thing. It's kind of gotten that way that I've never seen coming. I've never seen it start out. I, and I just never knew that somebody from a small, small town in Alabama with that really, really southern redneck accent could have, by just talking about their weaknesses, could help somebody overcome something that big. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know what? You just keep doing that. It's it's great to see. And uh, so what... Uh, what are you looking forward to most on the tournament trail? You got any upcoming uh, upcoming locations that you're really excited about? I think the lacrosse uh, up in Wisconsin. It's the last tournament of the season. I always enjoy that little river. She's tough, but she she's kind of fun. It's a nice little frog bite, smallmouth bite. It's everybody usually dreads it because it's kind of tough. Uh, I like that one, and I'm looking forward to the South Dakota trip this year. Uh, I have fished that lake before, but not out of the 
the area that we we're going to launch from this year. So I didn't go pre-fish it or anything. So that one's kind of that like kid at Christmas time. You know, I can't wait to get there to see what that in the lake looks like. So mm-hmm. I would say South Dakota and Wisconsin are the two that's probably on my radar the strongest out of the last tournaments. Okay. So what's what sort of similarities and differences is it between fishing in a state like Alabama versus going up north to a Wisconsin? I think that it's just the massive bodies of water down here. You know, like Gunners won't pick with and Wheeler, man. You can just get in your vehicle and within an hour and a half of my house in a circle, I can be at Nickajack, Chickamauga, Wheeler, Wilson, Pickwick, Gunnersville, Logan Martin, Laylight. Like, you have to wake up in the morning and pick which lake you want to go fish. And when I get up north in some of those bodies of waters, you can, they're, they're seen to be more spread out, the bigger lakes. And you make a decision like, it, it, it just doesn't fish as big. They're great fisheries, but like, there's not as many to pick from. The fishing up there is a little bit, they seem like the largemouth up there a little bit more aggressive when they decide to bite than they are down here. Maybe it's pressure, maybe it's a colder water fish, but that that's kind of neat to me when I get up there and you just, like, the South Dakota lake's big, but there ain't a lot of other lakes around it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to, you're going to fish that lake. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious about the aggression stuff, and I'm wondering if it has something to do with, like, it has ice on it for half the year, so you can't, like, toss a chatterbait in the middle of January maybe they just they just haven't haven't seen stuff like that and become a little bit more aggressive what are your thoughts on that I thought that before that maybe it could have been fishing pressure but I often wonder once again if that ain't mother nature's way of protecting her own and when the fish are in their prime in the summertime feeding they feed a little different like they know that they're not going to have an opportunity to feed like that 12 months out of the year and down here, we don't see water temperatures sometimes get below 52 to 54 to mid-December. And then by the end of February, it may not ever get below 50. So mm-hmm. the fish have so much more opportunities to feed with an abundance of food. It just makes me wonder if that shortened time where they can roam the shallows, be in the grass mats, those fish know that those days are limited and they feed with more of a purpose. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I've, uh, I've never fished down South before. I've always been curious about it, but you know, after, after you talking with me on that, it almost makes me want to be content and just stay and chase the fish up here. Y'all have plenty, man. I'll tell them this, a three pound Northern largemouth will just about drown a three pound Southern largemouth unless he's in the current, because those fish are just, they're just, as they say on TikTok, the fish are probably be hitting a little different. I mean, and when they hit, they hit with aggression. They fight. And I'm often just sitting there and wondering, I thought this just got to be the weather. And they know that this is their opportunity to feed. And this is how they grow. And this is how they get bigger to protect their own. So when they go on a feeding spree, they go on a feeding spree. Down here, you may fish six or seven days in a row. And the fish may really only feed real good on one of those days. Okay. Interesting. So if, if you were to never target bass again, what what species would you go after? Oh man, that, I'm not probably crappie. Crappie? Oh, I love to eat them. I mean, and if you're going to go fishing, you might as well be bringing dinner home. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. love to fish. I I'm not a huge saltwater guy. Like I don't do. I mean, I speckle trout fish on, but I don't like really going way offshore or any of that. So like. You know, that crappie is kind of my thing where I'm like, man, they group up. You can fish for them like bass. You find them with electronics. There's a lot of same with the, the similarities, just a lot smaller bait. 
because you, you, you can eat them and they're really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a double whammy right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd say one of my favorite things about crappie fishing is like when you find one, you generally find a pile of them. A pile of them. And that's when it gets fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, Gerald, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, appreciate you kind of diving into the tournament trail stuff, things that help you be successful. And, uh, you know, when I started this podcast, I didn't expect to dive into the whole mental health and positivity thing. But, you know, I think that's just something that that people really need to hear, that everyone has struggles. And, and it's good to see you're really not afraid to speak about it and, you know, and help people out. I think sometimes, uh, I think people in, in, in today's time and what we went through the last couple of years in this country, I think sometimes people just need a little hope. And I always told my wife that if someone has hope, they'll keep going. But when you take all hope away, people want to lay down and quit. So sometimes I just want to tell them that I'm your hope. Just keep going. I'm telling you to get better. Don't, you know, find a way to see the picture different. There is hope out there. But man, it, and, and today with the, the news that we have and the way things happen, it's like, man, if you're not careful, you can get down and negative quick. And negativity is so contagious. It scares me. Like, it scares me to be around negative people. So I'm like, always like, just try to be positive, man. We'll try to find something good in it. Uh, I think as long as we got a little hope, we'll get better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you keep spreading that positivity and, you know, best of luck on the, in the lead series this year. Man, I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing some of the fans that listen to the podcast and some of the Shield stores. When I go up that area, I'm going to try to visit as many as I can and want to come by. So if y'all see me in the store, just stop and holler at me. Say, what's up, TikTok? <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Oh, that I do have one last question for you, though, that just uh, just popped into my head with that. What is it? What does it feel like when you head into a store and you see your face on a poster like that? It's it's a. Uh... It's kind of weird, you know. I go in the drink machine, and I'm on the Mountain Dew thing, and I go over here, and I'm on the Rapal thing, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, God, that guy looks like me. And, then, <laughs> you know, you're just like, it's it, it's uh, it's humbling from where I came from to where people thought you couldn't go to where I am now. We walk in and see yourself. I am still very humbled. It has never it has never gotten old and never made me think that I'm someone bigger than I'm supposed to be. I, I, I find it very humble. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, stay humble and keep inspiring people and best of luck. Guys, thank y'all for having me on. Y'all have a great day. You too. You just heard our conversation with COSA sponsored athlete and Bass Elite Series angler, Gerald Swindle. Make sure to follow along with Gerald as he chases the tournament trophy on his Instagram at Gerald Swindle. And if you're looking for a pair of sunglasses, make sure to check out the Costa lineup at any of your Shields locations or online at shields.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.